This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, this morning, if you will, uh, just two verses that we'll take a look at. This will be kind of our jumping off point. We'll be taking a look at a, a several different passages of Scripture. Uh, again, these, these messages in this series have been a little bit different. Uh, starting in the beginning of next year, we'll go back to our study of Philippians verse by verse, where we're just taking a look at uh, individual verses. This, we're taking a look at kind of a thought, and then we're, we're using that to, to look at a totality of a portion of Scripture. So uh, a little bit different type of message that we'll have today, but definitely applicable for us. Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse number 1 and verse number 2 is what we'll take a look at this morning. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the world's it's interesting when God spoke, the Bible tells us that he spoke in several different ways throughout the, the Bible. Uh, God spoke to Adam in the garden just like you and I would have a conversation. The Bible says that God walked with Adam through the garden in the cool of the day and they just held a conversation the way that you and I would. God spoke with Abraham in an audible voice and God heard Abraham talk and uh, him and uh, God had conversations together. Moses saw God face to face in the burning bush, uh, face to face as one could possibly see it as a burning bush. And when Moses got away from that, the Bible says the glory of the Lord shone so bright around him that they had to put a, a blanket over his head while he talked because it was, the glory of the Lord was so bright. God spoke that way. God spoke through prophets throughout the Old Testament. God told Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, I need you to go uh, tell some people uh, what, I've, what I've said here. God spoke to Elijah in a still small voice. God went with the children of Israel throughout the wilderness in a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud, uh, I'm sorry, pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. So God spoke it several different ways throughout the Old Testament. But the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says, God spoke throughout all of human history in a multitude of ways. But now, in these last days, he says, and it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews 2,000 years ago truly thought that he was living in the last days. So for you and I, we're living in the last days for sure. In these last days, he's spoken to us not by prophets, not by our fathers, but he's spoken to us by his son. So think of it this way. The Christmas story is really just a story of God trying to get your attention because he's got something to say. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much prefer a text message over a phone call. How many people would rather send me a text message, don't bother me with a phone call? How many of you, that's you? How many of you call me on the phone if you want to talk to me? Oh, wow, look at you. God bless you. Um, I hope those people that just raise their hands aren't the people that send you a text message and wait 20 seconds and then call you, because those are the worst, right? It's just like, I haven't even had a chance to respond. I'm typing a response to your text message, and I'm going to send you the voicemail right now because I'm not finished typing my response yet. Oh, man. How many people, the best way to get in touch with me, send me an email? Nobody. How many of you are, just don't bother me? Raise your hand. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Uh, God bless you. I, I feel you there, for sure. Uh, 
I have uh, one of the men in our church, uh, a friend of mine, Coach uh, Vord, uh, coaches the men's basketball team at HPU. Um, he's a phone call guy. And it drives me bananas because he'll call me. I'll be, sh- I'll be getting some work done and the phone will ring and it's him and I'll answer. He'll be like, hey buddy, what are you doing? I'm working, what are you doing? I'm just driving. Okay? What's up? Nothing, man. I'm getting ready to go to basketball practice and after that I think I'm going to eat lunch. Okay. What are you up to? Like I said, I'm working. I actually have a job that I, that I do. Like, I'm not sure what you do all day, but I have work that I'm trying to do. Oh, okay. All right, buddy, I'll talk to you later. And hangs up. It's just like, what was that? Like, did, and then after I hang up, I think to myself, did he have anything to say? And the answer is no, he didn't. He just, he just called. Uh, and so he's different like that. So sometimes I'll see his, his phone calls come in and he just goes to voicemail. Uh, and but he knows if he has something important to say, he can send me a text message, right? We communicate different ways. Different people are just different ways about the way that we communicate. But here's how God communicates. God communicates always, 100% of the time, first and foremost, through his word, and secondly, through his son. That's it. God doesn't speak any longer in visions and dreams. Uh, people have said before, like, well, pastor, I had this dream the other night. What do you think about this? I don't think anything about it. I really don't. What do you think it means? I don't think it means anything because God doesn't speak through dreams any longer. There was a time where God spoke through dreams and at that same time, God had men who would interpret dreams. You think of Daniel, uh, who's in prison, had the ability to interpret dreams on somebody's behalf. That's not the case any longer. God has spoken definitively through his son, the Bible says. So First, if you're taking notes this morning, I highly recommend that you jot down this thought. First of all, the arrival of Jesus Christ is God's way of speaking to us. This is God's way of trying to say, hey, I'm trying to get your attention here. Hey, I got something to say. And what I have to say is going to be a little bit different message than what you've heard before. The messenger that I'm sending to bring this message is going to be a little bit different than uh, any messenger that you've had up to this point and ever will have again, because this message is a message like no other. So really, when we think of the Christmas season, is it an amazing Bible story? Definitely. Is it something we should teach our kids? No doubt about it. Uh, I hope that woven into your Christmas traditions, you have uh, the Word of God and, and the story of Christmas uh, for our family, one of our family traditions is Christmas Eve. We go to church together as a family. Uh, we sing some songs. We light some candles. We'll do that this Christmas Eve, and I hope that you'll join us. Christmas morning, nobody touches a single present under the tree. Nobody touches your stocking. Nobody peeks at anything or shakes a box until we sit down as a family, read Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, and then we pray and we thank God for the gift that he gave us, and then we talk about how all these gifts under this tree are just a picture of the greatest gift that we've ever received, and that's Jesus. So while the Christmas story gives us a good Bible story that we should teach our kids and a good way to train them about what God's done, that's good. Uh, the Bible is not just a, a, a story book for you and I. It's meant for a daily application for us. But really, the arrival of Christ, the incarnation of God in the flesh, is God's way of saying, hey guys, I've got something to say here. And so if God's going to speak, we need to be, make sure that we're listening. As Jesus spoke, first of all, Jesus spoke the word of God. This thought blows my mind. Can you imagine hearing God speak the word of God? Can you imagine some guy saying, hey, there's this prophet over here that um, 
his dad was a carpenter a long time ago. You might have heard of him. His name was Jesus. He came from a town called Nazareth. You should come over here because he's, he's over here preaching. He's got something to say. And you say, where's it at? Oh, it's over there on the, the hillside. And you, you grab your stuff together and you go sit down to hear this guy talk. And you sit down and you hear the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine that? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, one of the most lengthiest discourses in all of the Bible of Jesus preaching. So much wisdom he shares about who is going to be blessed and who's not going to be blessed. So much wisdom he shares about how we shouldn't worry about this world and what's going to happen tomorrow because tomorrow is going to take care of itself. How we shouldn't worry about how we're going to eat because the birds of the air eat and they don't have a job, they don't work. We don't have to worry about what kind of clothes we're going to wear, if we're going to look good enough because the lilies of the field don't have a job, yet the Heavenly Father cares for them. How much more shall He care for you? And being able to sit here and hear God in the flesh speak directly to you and directly to your heart, I can imagine it would just be like unbelievable. Hey, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Wow, I can only imagine hearing the Word of God preach the Word of God. Man, whoa, mind-blowing. I can imagine Jesus as he's walking along uh, the shoreline and uh, the guys have come in from fishing that night and he goes into Peter's boat and he says, Peter, can I borrow your boat for a minute? And Peter says, yeah, sure, I guess. And then he pushes out, he says, push out a little ways, I got something to say. And Jesus pushed out the boat a little ways and he began to preach. That would be like you and I pulling up in our pickup truck and Jesus jumping into the bed of the truck and saying, hey, can you take me down the street? I got some folks I need to talk to. And, and, and Jesus standing up in the bed of our pickup truck and preaching. Can you imagine how awesome that would be to hear God in the flesh, the word of God, preach the word of God. And everywhere he went, what he said, he spoke with authority because he was God in the flesh. John in John chapter three, verse number 34 says, for whom God sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. God didn't just give Jesus a few words to say, no, Jesus was the word. God didn't just give Jesus a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the spirit of God. It's interesting that in John, he says that he didn't give him spirit by measure, meaning he didn't give him just a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament times, uh, people would get the Holy Spirit to fulfill the job that they had, the role that they had. We find that the judges of Israel, to judge, God would give them the Spirit so that they had a spirit like none other so they could make wise decisions as how to judge. God would give kings the Spirit of God upon them, and when they had, were no longer king, he would take the Spirit of God from them the way that he did with Saul. And the Spirit of God would come, the Spirit of God would go. That's why when David sinned against uh, God with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, David says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Hey, I know I messed up, but please don't take the Holy Spirit from me because the Spirit would come and go. Spirit of God came upon Samson and while he's in the middle of a battle and he slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey and the Spirit of God left him. And so in this case here though, two unique things happen. We took a look at last week from the book of Luke how John the Baptist would have the spirit from his mother's womb. You'd have a child born with the Holy Spirit that had never happened before and it never happened again outside of Christ himself. And then you had Jesus Christ, God in the flesh being born, full of the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb as well. Never happened before, never gonna happen again. Unique experience. So everywhere Jesus went, he spoke the word of God because he was the word of God. And John tells us that Jesus was the incarnate word of God. 
Grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. If you've never read the book of John, you should read it, especially at the Christmas time, because John is so clear on why Jesus Christ came, who he is, what he did, why he came. John also makes the case from the very, very, very beginning for the deity of Christ. We talk about the deity of Christ, meaning that Jesus Christ is God. And we would go so far as to say that anyone who denies the deity of Christ is not a Christian. This is a non-negotiable, no wiggle room, no room for error, that if you do not believe that Jesus Christ was God, you are not a Christian. Because here's how important this is. If Jesus was not God, then Jesus was just a man like you and I. If Jesus was a man like you and I, then Jesus sinned. If Jesus sinned, he couldn't pay for my sin or yours because he has to pay for his own sin. And if he couldn't pay for my sins, then I have no Savior. And if I have no Savior, I am on the hook for all of my sin. If I'm on the hook for all of my sin, I now need to find someone to pay for my sin or I'm under God's judgment. That's how big of a deal this was. So Jesus Christ is God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word It's interesting, John calls Jesus Christ the Word incarnate, like the Word of God in the flesh. In the beginning was the Word. That means before time began. That means Genesis 1-1, before God spoke the world into existence, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but in the beginning was the Word. So Jesus has always been. Again, false religion would say that Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem and that's when Jesus started. They would say that, oh, that's when Jesus Christ was created. Jesus was not created in Bethlehem. Jesus was incarnated in Bethlehem. Big difference there. Jesus is not a created being. He is God. He is eternal. So in the beginning was the Word. Secondly, we see that the Word was with God. This again shows that Jesus Christ and God the Father are two separate beings, yet fully make up the Godhead or the Trinity. This is important because some would say that uh, there is no Trinity, that God exists in three different modes. That's a false religion known as, uh, a false doctrine known as modalism. That God is a shape shifter, that when he needs to be the Father, he's the Father. When he needs to be the Son, he'll be the Son. When he needs to be the Spirit, he'll be the Spirit. But this blows all that out of the water because in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God distinctly there. So we see two parts of the the Godhead here, the two parts of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You can't argue with with John 1.1. You just can't. Jesus Christ is God. Not he's kind of like God, or he has God-like qualities. He is God. Simple as that. You just can't argue with it. Now again, false religions or cults, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, would say that Jesus Christ is not God. This is, again, why Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians. This and a hundred other reasons. But they would deny the deity of Christ. They would say that Jesus Christ is not God. He is a lesser God. Uh, They would say that he was created in Bethlehem, that he has not always been. And you say, well, John 1 is really clear. How how are you going to argue with that? The only way that you can argue with that is to make your own Bible translation. And so the New World Translation, which is the Jehovah's Witness version of the Bible, John 1, 1, it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a, singular, lowercase g, God. Wait a minute, you can't just change the Bible. It's the Word of God, you can't change the Word of God, but they did. And, and again, the founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses cult stated that he had no training in biblical languages, no training in Greek or Hebrew, and basically added things to the Bible to support his uh, view of theology 
which is a false view. So again, reason 101 that Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christians because they deny the deity of Christ. This again is one of the reasons why Jehovah's, one of the many reasons Jehovah's Witnesses will not celebrate the Christmas season uh, because they do not believe that Jesus Christ was God. Uh, so uh, again, a whole host of problems that we come with that. Here's the deal. Jesus Christ was the word in the flesh. And again, there's no way to argue that. And you say, well, maybe we don't know who the, it's talking about when it talks about the word. Well, if you skip down to verse number 14 here, the word became flesh and dwelt among us as the only begotten of the Father. I think it's really clear who it's talking about, the word being. And again, if you fast forward to 1 John, which was also written by John who wrote this uh, epistle here, or this, this gospel here. 1 John, John refers to Jesus Christ again as the word. And so it's kind of John's uh, nickname for Jesus, the Word. And he was the Word incarnate. And so if Jesus Christ is the Word, and God no longer speaks to prof- through prophets and through our forefathers and things like that, but now in these days has spoken to us through his Son authoritatively, this is why we, as Bible-believing Christians, we don't need any other books. We don't need an add-on to the Bible. We don't need a new revelation from anyone. We would, we would say, again, there's no new open revelation in the world we live in today because the Bible is closed. The canon of Scripture, C-A-N-O-N, canon of Scripture is closed, and we no longer need a new revelation. This is why my skin crawls every time some uh, internet or celebrity preacher says, we've got a fresh new word from God I want to share with you. Hold up, time out. There's no fresh word from God. Now, the Word of God is a fresh book, mind you. Uh, and the fact, it was written 2,000 years ago, and it's 100% applicable today. Please, get, please understand, I'm not saying that the Bible is expired. I'm just saying that we don't have any new word from God. So again, this is why we need to be careful when someone says, hey, I'd like to speak a word of prophecy over your life. Hey, time out on that. And so I, I don't get too far sidetracked, but I just want, want to be clear here this morning too. Sometimes people say, well, the Bible says despise not prophesying. Like prophecy is a, is, a, is a gift for today. There's two types of prophecy that you'll find in the Bible. One is foretelling the future. There's going to be seven years of plenty and then there's going to be seven years of famine. That was a prophecy that came true. Jeremiah says, if you don't repent, you're going to go into slavery. That was a prophecy that came true. They were telling the future. But there's other types of prophecy where it's, thus saith the Lord. God said, get your act right, or he's going to punish you. This is just what God said. We're not telling the future, we're just telling you what God has said. So there's two types of prophecy. Foretelling, which we would say, gone away, we no longer need that. But then there's foretelling, here's what God said. So I could fully say to my friend John, hey John, God's given me a word of prophecy for you today. Love your wife the way that Jesus loved his church. And we would say, Amen to that. That's a word of prophecy. I'm saying, I didn't say love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. God said that to you. And I want you to carry that out in your life. I can say that with authority. Today I can say with you, with authority, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for the sins of mankind, and he is the only way to heaven. I can say that with authority by a word of prophecy, foretelling, uh, not forthtelling, but for, not forth. I got my words mixed up there. Sorry about that. I'm not foretelling the future, but I'm foretelling what God has already said. That's the two different types of prophecy. But we would consider ourselves cessationists in the fact that God no longer has to speak through signs, miracles, wonders. God's already spoken authoritatively through his word and through his son. 
So Jesus Christ has spoken. So it's important to note then, if Jesus was a message from God, then what does the message say? If, if God is speaking through Jesus, what does he say? And here's what he says very clearly all throughout the New Testament. First of all, God says, you are loved. Jesus Christ's coming was God's show of his love for you. John 3, 16, so clear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God giving Jesus Christ to you is God's way of saying that he loves you. When I tell my wife that I love her, I have different ways that I do it. Sometimes we'll talk and spend time together. Sometimes we'll go for a walk. Sometimes we'll sit outside and, and talk. Sometimes I'll buy her flowers. Sometimes we'll go to dinner. Sometimes, and all the moms understand this love language, sometimes I'll say, sweetheart, you should go take a nap. And she doesn't put up a fight. She says, amen, God is good. And she goes and takes a nap. What is that? That's me loving my wife. And here's the thing. When God chose to show you his love for you, he could have sent you a Christmas present. He could have put a box of candy under the tree. He could have done anything. But here's what he gave you. He gave you his son as an act of love for you. That's how God speaks. God speaks always through action. God doesn't speak just through words. He speaks through action. And Jesus Christ was sent as God's love gift to you. Here's what Jesus Christ also says. Jesus is the way. John chapter 14, verse number six is a verse that every single Christian should memorize. Commit it to memory automatically. And Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Friend, Jesus Christ is the only way that you'll ever make it to heaven. People have said before, well, there's, there's many roads that lead to heaven, but they all go to the same place. That couldn't be further from the truth. All roads lead to heaven. Oh, this guy over here, he's a Muslim. He, he calls him Allah, but he prays to the same God that you do. No, he doesn't. Well, this guy over here prays to, you know, the sun God, but that's the same God that we pray to. No, it's not. This person over here prays to a higher power, so that must be God. They all believe in the same thing, and we're all eventually going to the same place. Not true. You say, well, how can you say that? I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Jesus says, I am the way. Not I'm the best way, not I'm a way, not I'm a way, not I'm the best way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus went so far in uh, Matthew chapter 7, again, in his discourse on the, the mountain. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Here's what he said. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. The road to hell is very, very wide. The gates are wide open. And he says, many there be that find it. But here's what he says about himself. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Jesus says, hey, my gift of eternal life is open to everybody, but not everybody's going to walk that path. There's only going to be a few people that will find that road. It's interesting, sometimes newer Christians will say, well, pastor, I shared my faith with uh, my coworker for the first time. Great, how'd it go? It was terrible, they didn't get saved. What, what was terrible? They didn't get saved. Well, you shared truth, right? Yeah, 
But they didn't get saved. That's not terrible. That's great. Well, how can that be great? Because not everybody's going to accept the gift of salvation. Let me just tell you, if you're batting a thousand and every time you present the gospel, somebody gets saved, you just haven't done enough. <laughs> you, you've done it like once or twice, but you, you're eventually going to find people that don't want the gift of God. And so Jesus himself didn't bat a thousand. And so Jesus says, the majority of people that you offer salvation to will reject it. But those few that find it, oh, they find the way. Again, the idea that all roads lead to heaven, there's not a single place on planet Earth where all roads lead to the same place. You think about if, if we charter a jet today and we fly to Los Angeles, we touch down at the Los Angeles International Airport. I could personally drive you to the closest Chick-fil-A and it opens at 6 a.m. I just know, happen to know that, right? At the Los Angeles International Airport. We touch down there, we all get our rental cars, and there's a group of us that decide to take Interstate 10 driving east, and there's another group that decide to get on Interstate 5 driving north. Will we all arrive at the same destination? No. The people that drive the 10 east, where will we wind up? Anybody know? Jacksonville, Florida. That's right. If you take the 10 driving east from California and you get into Texas, you feel like you'll never get out of Texas. That is the longest stretch of road I've ever driven in my life. Interstate 10 through Texas, oh man. Now, for those that decide to take the, ten, the five north out of Los Angeles, where will you end up? Seattle, right? If you keep going through Seattle, you'll get to Everett. If you keep going through Seattle, uh, go through Everett, you'll get to Blaine, Washington. How many people have ever been to Blaine, Washington? Right before you go over the, the border into Canada. You go over into Canada, it's beautiful, it's green. You take out money at the ATM, their money's got like holograms and like see-through stuff on it. It's beautiful. They had Tim Hortons, I got there, had amazing coffee, it was awesome. We came back and I drove into Blaine, Washington and I thought to myself, people coming from Canada think like, this is America? It's like, no, keep driving, Seattle's a little bit better. Uh, but uh, the idea that we would all go our own way and eventually wind up in the same place, that just doesn't even logically make sense. So again, the idea that all paths eventually lead to heaven couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus says this, I am the way. But here's what Jesus also says. Jesus says, I am the truth. When we talk about Jesus and truth, we're talking about capital T, truth. Because there's certain truth, it rained this morning. That type of truth does not necessarily reside in Jesus Christ himself. But when we talk about capital T truth, we're talking about eternal truth. The fact that there are two places that people go when they die. Some go to heaven, some go to hell. And it's not based on how good of a person you are, what you've done in your life. It's based on where you put your faith. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? Have you put your faith and trust in him as your savior? It's been uh, kind of uh, cool for the last couple of years. This new phrase has come into our vocabulary. Oh, that's your truth. I'm thankful that she was able to speak her truth. He stood up for his truth. As if truth is relative. Truth really doesn't matter. Truth is whatever you believe it is. If I believe that my pants are gray, but you believe that my pants are black, I am thankful for you expressing your truth. And I want to give you a space to be able to feel confident in the truth that you hold to. So brother, speak your truth and be free, and, and be the person that is your authentic self. But wait a minute, my pants aren't black. No, he was just speaking his truth. Let him speak his truth. No, but my pants aren't black. 
that's your truth, and we're going to give you your space to celebrate your truth and, and to live your authentic self. Okay, at the end of the day, something has to be true and something has to be false. And again, this is not a popular thing to say in our society today, but the fact of the matter is facts are facts. There are not alternative facts. There is no your truth versus my truth. There is truth. And truth resides, eternal truth resides in the person of Jesus Christ. When it comes to, uh, so many times I'll be talking about my faith with people, and I was talking to a guy a couple of weeks ago. I went through the gospel with him. Hey, God loves you. Jesus Christ died to pay for your sins. If you're willing to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, he can save you and forgive you of your sins. But if you don't, you're going to die and go to hell. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And he said this, I believe most of that. That's okay, tell me the parts you have problems with. I have problems with believing, you know, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. I have some problems with this. I have some problems with that. You know, I believe in more of a, uh, you know, I believe in some of the teachings of Buddha and the fact that there's karma and, and negative energy that you put out. Eventually it comes back into you and you don't want to put out too much negative in- energy into the universe. I said, do you believe you get reincarnated? And he goes, I don't really know about that one. And so again, it was just a mishmash of a bunch of different stuff. And I, I said, well, here's what the Bible says. And again, I laid out the gospel really clearly for him. And he goes, man, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree. That's okay. I said, but we also have to agree that one of us is wrong. And he goes, no, I I don't agree with that. But we have to. We can't both be right. And he goes, what do you mean? I believe that when we die, we stand before God, and based on what we do with Jesus Christ, we go to heaven or hell. I believe that because the Bible says that. You believe that there might be reincarnation, there might be eternal soul sleep where it's just like turning the lights out and you're done. You might think that there might be a heaven, there might be a hell, but you're not sure. One of us is right and one of us is wrong, or maybe even both of us are wrong. But we can't both be right. And he sat there for a minute and he goes, I mean, I guess. He guess the piercing question. But how will we know who's right? Oh, Now we're getting somewhere, right? Well, we could go based on what I think, what my life experiences are, what makes sense in my mind to me, or we could go what you think and what makes sense to you and what your life experiences are, or we could go to an objective third party who has already determined what is true and what is not true. Where would we find such an objective third party? Oh, I'm glad you asked. The Bible, God's Word. And he says, well, that's not objective because that's the book that you chose. No, it is objective because I don't necessarily like everything that I find in the Bible. The things that I read are very uncomfortable for me to read. And some of the things that I like, the Bible tells me I don't get to do those things. So it's not, it's not uh, uh, favorable towards me. There has to be truth that is true for everyone. And we begin to talk through things like this, like, hey, Is it right or wrong to kill? He says, well, of course it's wrong. Based on what? Well, everybody knows that. How does everybody know that? He goes, well, that's just something that's built into everybody you know. And I go, so built into everybody is a sense of right and wrong. And he goes, okay, I believe that. Good. Would you believe that the Bible says that God has written his law on every man's heart? And he goes, that's deep. Oh, it's so deep, man. It's so deep that you don't believe what's right and wrong because you think that. It's because God has put that on your heart already. Because God's drawing you to a source of truth. 
And that truth is the person of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. And here's what Jesus says, I am the life. And when Jesus talks about him being the life, he's not just talking about eternal life. And here's what Jesus says at the end of his, that statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So again, the idea that you can get to heaven some other way than Jesus, Jesus disagrees with you. Well, I think I can be a good person and go to heaven. Jesus disagrees with you. The Bible disagrees with you. I think if I do enough religious works, I'll go to heaven. Jesus disagrees with you. I think if I get baptized in that church over there, I'll go to heaven. Jesus disagrees with you. I think if I try not to mess up too much, Jesus disagrees. He believes, he said, he is the only way. And you either accept that or you reject that. And the Bible is very clear on those who reject Christ, what happens to them. Very clear. So Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And we talk about Jesus being the life. First of all, he's the promise of eternal life. (laughs) Turn your Bibles to John chapter 3, if you would. Sometimes when someone is exploring their faith or trying to figure out Christianity, we will recommend that they read two books of the Bible, John and Romans. Because John and Romans really couldn't be any more clear as far as who is Jesus, what was his purpose, what does he want from me. Romans couldn't be any more clear. Who are you? What does God expect from you? What do you deserve? Couldn't be any more clear. And sometimes I'll be sharing my faith with people and I'll say, hey, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? And sometimes people say, well, can anybody ever be really 100% sure of that? Can you really know for sure that you're going to heaven? And again, these people have often been brought up under a religious system that says, hey, if you do enough, maybe you'll make it over the top one day, but let's wait and, and see. But the Bible is really clear. 1 John 5.13 says this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope that you have eternal life or think that you might have eternal life. No, so that you can know that you have it. John chapter three, uh, verse number 35. John 3, 35. The Father loveth the Son, hath given all things into his hand. Again, this is the Father speaking to us through his Son. Verse 36, you should circle, star, underline, commit to memory. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. If there were ever a black and white passage in the Bible, this is it. If there were ever any way to kind of wipe away any gray areas that might exist for can one make it to heaven or not, or how can we be sure of eternal life or not, this completely and totally clarifies everything. Everything. He that hath the Son hath everlasting life. Period. End of story. Have you accepted Christ as Savior? Do you have Jesus Christ as your forgiveness of sins and hope of heaven? If so, you have everlasting life. When you die, can you be 100% sure of heaven? Yes, because the Bible says 100%. But he that hath not the Son hath not life, you do not have eternal life. You do not have a promise of heaven. But it doesn't stop there. Well, I believe that just lights out for us and turn off into eternal 
soul sleep. No. Look at the end of verse 36. And the wrath of God abides on him. That's heavy. Not only do you miss out on the promise of eternal life, but punishment is coming for you. How long will the punishment last? Eternity. If you've not been saved, you are on your way to an eternal hell. That's why for us at Huikala, we're so adamant about the gospel because there are people that are walking by our church. There are people that are seated in our church this morning that have a death sentence on their head that are headed for everlasting destruction, everlasting torment. The wrath of God poured out for them for all of eternity in a real place called hell that burns with real fire for all of eternity. And we're just like, when do we get coffee back on Sunday mornings? Like, wait a minute, what? No, this is a big deal for us. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life, and the wrath of God abides on him. So God speaking to us says, yes, I love you. Yes, I've given you the way. I've given you the truth. And now I've given you everlasting life. John 3.36 really couldn't be more clear on the promise of eternal life. And you say, well, okay, so Jesus is getting my ticket punched to heaven. That's good. So what do I do until then? That's the great part about Jesus when he says, I am the life. He doesn't say I'm the eternal life. He is this life and the next. You see, Jesus Christ is the focus for this life. He's the promise of eternal life, but he's also the focus for this life that we have here as well. That's why God's word tells us, set not your affection on the things above. That's why Jesus says, lay up for yourself treasure not here on this earth or moth and rust that's corrupt, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Colossians chapter three, verse number one, I love this. If ye then be risen with Christ, those of you that are children of God, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Here's what it says. Hey, Christians, Christmas time is not about all the gifts under the tree. It's not about who got this or who got what. It's not about stacking all your stuff up so you can get the perfect shot on Instagram so that everybody can think your life is fabulous. Christmas isn't about that. Set your affection not on the things of this earth, but on the things that are above. I am so excited for our Christmas Eve service. We had the opportunity to work with our music folks yesterday and, and uh, the music we're going to have for Christmas Eve. It's amazing. I, I was so encouraged. I, I can't wait to get together with my church family who is really our family on Christmas Eve and celebrate the greatest gift that God has ever given to mankind, his own son. I'm so excited about that. I'm excited for our kids to be able to have some gifts and things that they can play with, but I just want my kids to know how much they're loved because of the love we've received from our Heavenly Father. I want them to see that the gifts that they get from their parents are just a reflection of the gifts that we receive every single day from our Heavenly Father. I want my kids to be able to see that the gifts that they have, they didn't earn these and they didn't, weren't good all year so that they could get these gifts. No, they got them despite all the, the knuckleheaded stuff that they did because their Father's gracious the same way our Heavenly Father's gracious. I love this time of year. But it's not for gifts and making sure that it's bigger. And, and I hope nobody's charging up Christmas on a credit card and hoping to pay it off in, by summertime. That's, you're missing the reason for the season. 
And again, I don't want to raise my kids to have these huge lofty expectations that every time Christmas comes around, there's going to be, you know, $1,500 worth of gifts under the tree for them. But Jesus is this life. He's not just, oh, we'll see Jesus one day. No, I want to, I want to see Jesus at work today. I want to talk to Jesus today. I want Jesus to be real in my life this week. I'm not waiting for one day. I want Jesus to be present in this day. Colossians uh, 3, verse number 4 says this, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Christ is our source of strength for this life and the next. Jesus is not just a good gift that we have in eternity. Jesus is a gift that we have for today. And Jesus is the greatest gift that God could ever possibly give. Again, God could give a gift that would maybe be useful for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, maybe. I don't know about you, what the best Christmas gift you ever got was. I remember when I was a, a kid, I wanted an electric guitar. I was probably in seventh grade or so, and I wanted an electric guitar, and I had this idea that me and my friends would be in a band together, and I pictured myself playing this guitar, and, you know, chicks would dig me because I played guitar and stuff, and so... I wanted a guitar for Christmas, and I asked my parents. They kept saying no, kept saying no, kept saying no, and so I'd finally given up on the idea of getting a guitar for Christmas, and so I made a list of some other things that I wanted because I wasn't going to get a guitar, and then I really began to want those things, and then Christmas morning comes, and guess what? I got a guitar. Well, I don't want a guitar at this point. I'm over the whole guitar thing. Like, me and my friends have already disbanded the band before it ever started, right? What am I going to do with this? And so I got some VHS tapes to teach you how to play guitar and stuff like that, and so, um, and, and so, I messed around with it. You know, it had a distortion pedal that you would hit. I never learned to play anything at all. Um, and ended up selling it uh, a couple months later. Probably worst Christmas present ever. It wasn't for lack of my parents trying, just because I, I was a terrible human being. Um, but I don't know what the best Christmas present you ever got was, but it can't hold a candle to the gift that you have in Jesus. Like, not even close. I remember thinking to myself, I, again, I got saved when I was nine years old, but I never grew in my walk with Christ until I was in my early 20s. And I remember hearing somebody preach a message in my early 20s about how, you know, the day that you got saved, God took all the wrong you've ever done in your entire life and he wiped it away like it never even happened. And you got a fresh start the day that you got saved. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I didn't need a fresh start when I was nine. I need a fresh start when I'm like 22, you know? Like when I made a wreck of my life, I made all these terrible decisions and I've lived for myself and I've lived in sin. I don't need a fresh start at nine. I need a fresh start like 22. That was just a misunderstanding of the gospel though. I didn't understand the gospel fully and the fact that the gospel is not just for the day that you get saved, it's for every day after that too. That again, a great promise in 1 John chapter one, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just the day you get saved, but every single day after that. So I do get a fresh start every single day. The gift that I received of eternal life was good. The gift of forgiveness of sins was great, but I get the gift of forgiveness of sins every single day. Hello. That's like the gift that keeps on giving. That wasn't a gift that I got one time, and I'm thankful that I got that gift, but I don't really use it that much anymore. No, this is something for every single day for the rest of my life, the forgiveness of sin. And not only did we receive the forgiveness of sin, again, I love John chapter 1. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
that we receive the adoption into God's family, not just forgiveness of sin. It wasn't like this, that Jesus kind of came by and patted us on our head and go, all right, buddy, you're forgiven, have a good life, and he walked off. No, no, here's what happened the day that you and I got saved. Jesus Christ came and washed our sin away and cast our sin as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. And here's what he did. He says, hey, let me take you to meet my father. And Jesus Christ brought us to God the Father, who we had no access to on our own. But now through the blood of Jesus Christ, by him justifying us and declaring us righteous and bringing us into the presence of his Father, Jesus with his arm around us says, hey dad, I brought another one home. And God adopted us into his family. And now we're no longer the enemies of God, the way that Romans 5 says. Now we've been adopted into the family of God. And that's a gift that I got, not just the day that I got saved, but that's a gift that I got this morning. Because when I rolled out of bed this morning, you know what I said? Father, I need some help today. Father, I thank you for everything that you've given me that I'm so undeserving of. I got to say, Father. Because God is my Father. How did that happen? The gift of Jesus Christ. What a gift. Again, it wasn't something I unwrapped when I was nine years old. I go, oh, that was cute. Thankful. Got my ticket punched to heaven. I'll put that in my back pocket when I need it and just go on with life. No, 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 no. I receive the forgiveness of sin on a daily basis and I receive adoption into God's family on a daily basis. And now when I gather together with God's other adopted children, I get to say, hey, brother, what's up? Hey, friend, how was your week? Hey, sister, how was your week this week? And now I have brothers and sisters in Christ. Now I have family because I've been adopted into the family of God. My kids won't get a chance to see their grandparents this Christmas. And please don't feel sorry for us. They haven't done that in eight plus years. In the last 20 years, my kids have seen their grandparents at Christmas like all maybe three times four max. So, but you know what? I don't feel like we're missing out because on Christmas Eve, we'll be gathered together with our family lighting candles and singing about Jesus. And so please don't feel sorry for us. We don't feel like we're missing out on anything. You know why? Because we have our Christmas with our adopted family this year. Not really missing out on anything. I've been given a gift. And God spoke. When God spoke through his son, he said, you're loved. Jesus Christ is the way. He's the truth. He's the life, and you're part of my family now. Every now and then, we'll be out and about, and I'll leave my kids in the car to run in the store or something like that, and I'll get back in the car, and my daughter says, Dad, Mom, call while you're gone. It's like, oh, what did she say? She said, get milk. It's like, oh, I totally forgot to get milk, and jump out of the car and run back in. Hey, God called. How did he call? He sent his son. That's his way of saying, hey, I've got something to say, guys. Oh, what did he say? He said, you're loved. Jesus has everything that you need. And now you're, you're his. You're part of his family. What a gift we have. If you've never received that gift, there's never been a time, a date, a place in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior. Let that day be today. Maybe you don't know for sure if you died today, heaven's your home. Please accept that gift today. Just like any gift, you have the opportunity to receive it, open it, use it, or you have the opportunity to just flat out reject it. And say, ah, not really what I'm looking for. That's fine. 
But if you would receive that gift, you could receive everything that your soul craves, everything your heart desires. And it's the greatest gift you'll ever receive in your life. If you say, Pastor, I've been saved. I know for sure that, that I'm a Christian. And I know if I die today, heaven's my home. I know I'm part of the family of God. Good. Did you know that the gospel and Jesus Christ is probably one of the only socially acceptable gifts that you can re-gift without feeling bad about it? Did you know that? Sometimes people have given us, you know, those, have you ever seen those popcorn tins, you know, that at Christmas time? I love those things. Love it. But here's the problem. I like the caramel corn, and I like the, the, the uh, whatever the sweet one is, the, the sugar one. What's it called? Kettle corn. Kettle corn, caramel corn. The cheese one, it'll stay there till like June, and it'll be crunchy, and it'll squeak whenever you eat it because that's just <laughs> nasty, Right? Someone one year gifted us one of those for, for Christmas. I thought, yes, this is going to be awesome. And I open it up, and the whole tin is cheese. <laughs> I'm thinking like the divider fell down in here somewhere. And like, no, it's just all cheese. And what are you going to do with that? It's nice. It was a good gift. And the person who gave it, you know, gave it from a sincere heart of love, and I appreciate that. But I thought to myself, I'm not going to eat this. And so I can either throw it away or, you know, those things are just sealed with like packing tape. Just put a little bead of tack, pack, packing tape around there. Take off the tag, put your tag on there, write somebody else's name. And then you, what do you do? You re-gift it, right? Don't judge me. You've done the same thing. <laughs> You're looking at me all judgy back there like this. And you've done the same thing. But you feel bad about it, don't you? You're thinking like, you might even tell your kids, don't tell them that we gave this to your, your school teacher, all right? Don't tell them, you know? Don't tell your teacher that somebody at your church gave this to you and you didn't want it, and so you're giving it to them. Don't do that, because it's, it's, it's not socially acceptable to do that. Here's the thing with the gospel. You received it, give it on, pass it on. It's good. Re-gift it as much as you want to. It's the best gift you could ever possibly give to someone. If you never received that gift, today is your opportunity to receive that gift and just like somebody's phone, somebody's trying to speak to them right now. <laughs> don't look, don't look. That would make them feel awkward, okay? <laughs> but here's what God's doing. God's speaking to you. How's he speaking? Through his son, Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.